And uh, so Bob came to Perimeter. One of the things that Bob did at Perimeter Church was he uh, started a uh, premarital ministry. And actually, he had started this premarital ministry before he came to Perimeter called Right Start. And so he was one of the first, uh, he was the, obviously the founder of an instructor. And then eventually Bob left, and I took over that. And so probably for uh, 27 years now, one of the things I've done at Perimeter Church is I've over, over, oversaw the, oversee the uh, uh, premarital ministry. So uh, this past year, I had someone come to me and say, uh, a woman who had come through the class, and she had uh, just gotten married. I think she's six months into marriage, and she's very upset. And uh, I said, why is that? She said, because uh, I've discovered my husband's not perfect. And I started laughing. I was laughing at her because I thought, oh, well, that's cute. You're making a joke and all that. She was serious. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I was talking to this woman. She's serious. She thought her husband was perfect before they got married that, that you know, he was, he was perfect. And so uh, I, I use that sort of as an illustration to think about when I came into the church, I, came, I think I came into a relationship with Jesus Christ in 1975, and I had not grown up in the church. Uh, my, my family were, uh, what is the term, cheesters. Uh, you came at Christian, Christmas and Easter, and uh, we were cheesters, I guess, as they call us. Um, and by the way, I can't believe it. it. Here it is, 2017. This is the first time in a worship service, and I'm, I'm saying this complimentary, First time at a worship service, I've heard Christ the Lord is risen today, not sung on Easter. And I'm like, why don't we do that more? I'm like, I don't, I don't know that. So, um, so here it was, is that when I came into a relationship with Christ, this perception of that maybe the church was going to be this place that, that was perfect, like this perception that this woman had about her husband. Well, you know, we know it's not, right? I mean, we know it's not. Uh, what is, I used to, I will sometimes, and I still on occasion say it, I will say, you know, the church would be a great place if it wasn't for people. And, uh, and, I, and I think about it that way, that, uh, you know, yes, it's made up of people. It's made up of us. But I love the church, and I don't say that because I'm trying to get you to join or come here or anything like that. That's not the issue. I love the church. And God is building his church. One of the reasons I love the church is Christ is in you. Christ is in us. And I have the privilege of seeing the church at work. I have the privilege of seeing the body of Christ at work. I have the privilege of of seeing God use broken people. And I think you do too. You may not see it, but it's there. I have the privilege of that. And you have the privilege of that. So I love the church. And God is building his church. God is building his church. And he is calling us to something. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, touch upon that in just a little bit. But the question may be asked, okay, well, what is the church? What is a church? Is, is it where two or three are gathered, like you read in the scripture? Okay. And we say, yes. The Greek word ekklesia really talks about the fact that the word church is, is the people of God called from darkness, called from damnation, into this light, called by God, 
called to him to be his people. Called by God to be his people and that he would be their God. The church are the ones called out, set apart, declared holy. This is the ecclesia. This is the church. Now, whether we want to talk about specific institutions, organizations, denominations, or whatever, we can. But I just want to talk about the fact that that the church is the people of God called out uh, by him. And so, uh, is it... It is, and theologians will talk about the invisible church. That is, the invisible church is the church all through the ages of those saints, those elect saints throughout the ages uh, who make up the perfect bride of Christ. And then there is the visible church. The visible church, which, for instance, Seven Hills is the visible church. It's It's a manifestation of the church today made up of his bride, but we are broken people like every church is, and, and uh, we, we, have, we have those challenges. But one of the best descriptions, I think, uh, is from that passage that, that uh, Jeremy led us through this morning, and you'll see it on the screen here from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. I'm going to read this, and uh, a great description of, of, of who we are. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you you have received mercy. Just keep that passage up there for a second, okay? Now, if you, if you look there, that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. And now this, by the way, in, in 1 Peter, it's primarily being written to Gentiles and, uh, and just an affirmation of who we are, that we are they're a priesthood of believers. We are a holy nation. We are set apart by God. We are set apart by Him. We are a people for His own possession. We are claimed by God, we are his people, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The church is, the mission of God is the church, and the church is called to declare the excellencies of him who called us into his marvelous light. What did Jeremy just say? Jeremy said earlier, he referred back to Abraham, And in Genesis chapter 12, what does God do? He calls Abraham, and he says, ultimately, you're going to be a blessing to the nations. That blessing is going to come through Christ, going to come through his church, that we are to bless the nations. We are to proclaim the excellencies of Christ to the nations. So what I want to do this morning is I want to just briefly talk about what does that mean for us specifically? And I want to I want to unpack it kind of in a, in a kind of more of a, a, a relative way for us in terms of how it affects us in the church today, that how do we do that? What is necessary? Let me put it this way. What is necessary for us as a church as we go and declare his excellencies? What are we to do? A bit of background. I said God 
I love the church, and God is building his church. Uh, Bob and I worked together. Bob hired me, and I don't know what year it was, and and, uh, he doesn't remember this, I know. But one time, I am sort of lamenting. I am whining, complaining to Bob about the church. I am. And by the way, uh, I'm the church too, so. But uh, I'm complaining to him and about something going on. And Bob looked at me and he said, Bob, God is building his church. God is building his church. That was not intended to discourage me at all. Bob was seeking to encourage me, the reality that God is at work. Philippians 1.6, that he who began a good work in you will complete it the day of Christ Jesus. God is at work. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. God is at work in his church. And so he intended to encourage me with that, not discourage me. And so uh, through the years, I have, I can't tell you how many times I've said that to people. God is building his church. God, and it all goes back to, when Bob said that to me as a way of encouragement to understand that God is at work. Now, it may not feel like it is. Now, I, we could spend a lot of time talking about what's wrong with the church. And, uh, you know, I've got more stories than most of you. I mean, I, I, I do. I mean, I can tell you what's wrong. And people could point me to different things and absolutely. And, and by the way, I don't want to diminish that. I don't want to make light of it. I don't want to have this cavalier attitude about it. I'll I'll talk about it in a little bit, just some of the challenges maybe that, but but I understand that, and I want to be sensitive to that, and so as one who is here, I I, I have this quote, by the way, I want to show you from Charles Spurgeon, 19th century pastor, if you could bring that up. He says, the church is not perfect, but woe to the man who finds pleasure in pointing out her imperfections. So I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to point out a few maybe today. I need to be careful of this. Christ loved his church and let us do the same. I have no doubt that the Lord can see more fault in his church than I can. And I have equal confidence that he sees no fault at all. Because he covers her faults with his own love. That love which covers a multitude of sins and removes all her defilement with that precious blood. Which washes away all the transgressions of his people. So I'm, I want to be very sensitive to that. I can point out to you what is wrong with the church, and I'm sure that you can too. And by the way, there is so much good. I wish I had the time to be able to talk to you this morning about down through the history what the church has done, what the church has been involved in. You know, and just briefly, what what you can see is the fact that when you look at the history of the church, and let's just take even though over the last 2,000 years, did you know that that the reality of, of, of uh, social service, of the reality of schooling, really began, in the, and I'm talking primarily Western civilization, the problem, I'm sorry, that's, that's my focus. Uh, I can't t- talk intelligently about Eastern civilization, but Western civilization, that the church has been primarily involved in that. The church is involved in the genesis of that, in the beginnings of many of these things. The church has influenced art, music, philosophy, architecture. The church played a significant role in ending such practices as human sacrifice, slavery, infanticide, and polygamy. 
it affected, uh, not perfectly, of course, and we know the challenge is that, but the status of women. The church has been involved in assisting the poor, the prisoner, the widow, the orphan. You can look down through the centuries and see how the, what the church has done. Not to mention all the local expressions of the church that go on day to day in our, in our country, in our world, where the church is involved in affecting the lives of people. We don't read about it. We don't hear about it. But it's going on. And I, get to, I have the privilege of hearing about it in, uh, many times. So I'm going to say there's a lot right about it. There's a lot good. And maybe I should quit the sermon right now and just we go home and that's it. That's, everything's good. But let me just talk briefly. If we're to be as people, holy, set apart, what is needed as we go forth to proclaim his excellence. One, I've got three points here. One, to go forth as the people of God set apart and called to declare his excellencies, we need submitted leadership. We need submitted leadership. First Peter 5 says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. This point is, is, is really uh, an emphasis toward leadership. For those in leadership in the church, for those in leadership of the church, the call to shepherd the flock of God, to be examples to the flock, to serve, to give, to not lord it over other people. And by the way, as I say this, I'm not thinking of Seven Hills that they're doing that, but I'm just, again, emphasizing the reality that a submitted leadership is really what is going to help us as we go forth to proclaim His excellencies, that we have a a submitted leadership. Leadership matters in the church. One of the most important things, and I know it may, not, it's, it, it may not be on your radar at all, and I understand that. We struggle with it at perimeter. One of the most important things, this is a hot button for me, is who, the leadership of your church. Who's in leadership? Because they set the tone. And the reality is, is that what we're looking at is for those who are, first of all, submitted to Christ, those who are submitted to their brethren, those who are serving the flock, those not who are want to lord it over other people. And so the submitted leadership of the church, that we're to be humble people, and that we recognize that God has called us into that role, and we're not, it's not a power trip at all, at all. I often tell guys when they become elders in our church, uh, I'm not great at marketing, I'll say, by the way, a target's on your back now, and that's true. And so I'm aware of that. Are they submissive to Christ? We have a, uh, at Perimeter Church, we have a, a process that people come through in leadership. Well, one of the things that people do is they take a theological foundation for leaders class. I love theology. I love to study it. I love to teach it. And so uh, I'm not the only teacher, but we will teach a theology for foundation for leaders class. It's a rigorous course. It is a difficult course that they go through. And when I teach uh, every class, the first class, I always say this. Uh, we're going to have an exam at the end of this class. And uh, you're going to be tested on, on all the material. And I just want you to know that the devil can score 100. I'm trying to emphasize to them the reality of the fact that just because you have knowledge... It doesn't mean anything. 
unless we're submitted to Christ. And, of course, we know from 1 Corinthians 13 that it says if we have all knowledge, knowledge but have not love, it means nothing. And so what we're looking for is people that are submissive to Christ and love Christ and recognize that. One of my great heroes is uh, the uh, Pastor Jack Miller, who's deceased. He, he has a couple of great quotes that I keep with me. One of, one of them I just heard. I didn't know this. But one I've kept with me a long time is that he would look at you, and I'll say this to you, cheer up. You're worse than you think you are. But God's grace is greater than you can ever imagine. When he was being criticized one time, uh, and he would often do this, he would mutter it under his breath. Uh, even if he's unfairly criticized, he would sort of mutter, mutter it under his breath. They don't know the half of them. I'm a lot worse than they say I am. Now, I don't want to say that, I don't want to identify this as a false humility with him, but what I am saying is that your leaders are to be humble and humble before you. Some have said that leaders be the, need to be the chief of repenters, and I think that's true. Now, I'm not suggesting that a leader stands up here every Sunday and lays out their dirty laundry for you. Some of you couldn't handle that. But what I am saying is leaders lead with repentance. They lead with that. And those are the elders. Those are the leaders that you want. Paul said towards the end of his life, I am the chief of sinners. And uh, that's an important thing. So submitted leadership is important as we go forth. Number two, to go forth as the people of God set apart and called to declare his excellencies and this one makes me nervous. <laughs> we need submitted members. Yikes. Yes, I, I just said that. Hebrews thirteen seventeen says, obey your leaders and submit to them. Now, uh, you may turn your, your, uh, your uh, hearing off now as I start talking about this because uh, it's, it's a challenging issue. I think it's pretty clear from Scripture that the church has an authority structure. When you go to Matthew 16 and, 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 and Jesus says, and upon this rock I will build my church, we can argue about whether it's Peter. We can argue, argue about whether it's the apostles and the prophets. We can argue about whether it's Jesus Christ himself. But there's an authority structure that Jesus gives. Uh, the Apostle Paul, as he goes and he plants churches, what does he do? He appoints elders in every place that he goes. Matthew 18 talks about church discipline in the church. And so there's a sense of authority structure that happens in a church and the necessity of having, uh, and I don't mean this in any way negative at all, a hierarchical leadership. And so the, the, the question would be asked, what does that mean for me as one who is a part of a fellowship? And I'm, I will just get real practical with you today on this. Um, I had a person that I know who he came to Perimeter Church and showed up one Sunday. I said, hey, what are you doing here? And he goes, hey, I'm Krogering. And I said, uh, what? He goes, well, you know, one, one Sunday I go to Kroger, next Sunday I go to Publix. What he was saying to me was, one Sunday I go here, I like the music. Next Sunday I go here, I like the preaching over here. I, like, I just go to different places, check it out and all this. He doesn't have his roots down anywhere. 
And what I'm calling you today when I talk about being in submission to leadership is to set your roots down. I, I would encourage you to do that. Um, in essence, what he... And, and by the way, I need to be careful here because the reason it's difficult, I'm not judging your situation. I don't know. I know we're all in maybe kind of moving pieces here as we deal with this. But what I would encourage you to do is at some point to set your roots down, to be involved in a fellowship, to set your roots down. that fe- It doesn't have to be here, but set your roots in a fellowship and being part of that fellowship. The hard thing about it in being a part of fellowship, the hard thing of setting your roots down, and I'm not saying this is why some of you don't, but the hard thing about it is there are people there. <laughs> and you encounter them as you get involved and you... Uh, it sometimes is a scary place to be in terms of just encountering uh, other people. But in many ways, uh, I think this is so important today because what we're encountering, and you know, I need to be sensitive to this. I'm trying to listen to this. Church membership is sort of a, a negative thing. Kind of people look at it like, eh, church membership, I don't want to be a part. Okay, I'm not going to argue that for that, but what I am going to argue for is for you to set your roots down somewhere, to be a part of a fellowship, to say, this is where I'm going to be, and to hang with it. Now, I'm not saying you can't leave and go somewhere else. I'm not saying it's also always wise to do that, but I think it's important for us to be able to set our roots down. Uh, The second thing I would say about this, of being in submission, is just being aware that, uh, of course, within the church, uh, that I'm a representative of Christ, but I'm also a representative of of the church that I'm involved in. We had a woman who, a number of years ago, wanted to join the church. And so uh, within the Presbyterian Church of America, that's what we're part of, we have five membership questions that we ask people when they join the church. One's about being a sinner. One's about believing in Jesus Christ. The very last question is this. Do you submit yourself to the government and discipline of the church and promise to further its purity and peace? Okay. Do you submit yourself to the government and discipline of the church, and promise to further its period in peace. I've done a hundred, maybe a thousand of these. I don't know. I've done so many of these where I would sit down with people. And this woman said no. I'd never had anybody say no before. I was like, I was actually just checking off yes, yes. And she, oh, I, oh you said no. Oh, okay. Um, she said, no, I don't, I don't agree with that. And I said, why is that? She said, the basic reason I don't agree with it is what I do with my life is none of your business. Okay, so I said, well, thank you for playing. <laughs> you can't join the church. Uh, I, I joke about this now. It's really not true I'd do this, but sometimes I'll joke. And too many cynical moments I had, I said, if that person were to join the church today, I would say she could join the church. Why is that? Because she's honest. And the reason for that is sometimes what people say is, I, I agree to join the church and submit to the leadership as long as I agree with it. And this is one of the most painful things that I am involved in, and every pastor is involved in leadership, is the fact that uh, we make decisions and people don't always agree with it. It is just a reality. Now, we make, we make decisions and people don't agree. We make bad decisions. We make wrong decisions. And that happens, and it's painful, and it's challenging. Uh, But it's just a part of it. And so what I do is I encourage people to hang in there, set your roots down, and hang in there and be a part of it. 
Now, if, you, if you're convinced that church is apostate or the pastors are evil or demonic or whatever, yeah, I mean, I, I know you need to leave. But the reality is uh, the necessity of setting it down. We, we have so many choices here. My daughter used to live in Germany. And what she said to me one time was she said, uh, uh, I live in this town. There are two churches. There's a Roman Catholic church and a Protestant church. If you want to go to church, that's it. It's not like you can go, well, I don't like this church. I'll go to this church. I don't like this church. I'll go to this church. You have these choices. You don't have any choices. You have to. You have to. And so she said what was interesting in that church is people came from different backgrounds and, and different beliefs and different personalities. And guess what? They had to work it out. They had to work together. And there was strength that came from that. And so uh, I think that there's, there's a lot of good positive things about that. But let me say this. I can make jokes about what's wrong with the church and whatever, but I, I, uh, I will say this. I don't know your situation. I would assume with a, with a group this large, some of you have painful stories. Some of you do. Some of you have been maybe abused by leadership. Uh, some of you may be being criminally abused by leadership. Some of you maybe have left churches because uh, there was painful gossip about you. Uh, People wouldn't keep things confidential. Maybe your church just pretty much abandoned uh, the gospel, and that was so hard because you were so, you invested in that church. Uh, Maybe there was such conflict with other people in the church that you had to walk away. My point is, I understand to this, that some of you have a lot of pain. You have a lot of pain about your experiences in the church. And I wish I could do something about it. I really can't, but I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you've had to go through that. I'm sorry that you've experienced that. And I hope that as you set your roots down, whether here at Seven Hills or somewhere else, that uh, you will find hope amidst that. Find hope in the midst the gospel. Find hope in the gospel amidst that pain. Um, But it's difficult. I understand that. I uh, I met with someone recently who. uh, who has stayed at our church. We had a discipline situation that I was a part of, and um, it was between him and a family member, and I was a part of the team that that worked with his family, and uh, he did not like our decision. He was mad at me, frustrated with us, and I sat down with him and had a very frank conversation, and he said, many times I've thought about leaving this church, but here's what he said. He said, uh, At the end of the day, I trust your hearts about your desire to follow Christ. I think you made the wrong decision here. I think you were were dead wrong. He said, and I can go somewhere else. I can. And the grass may be greener on the other side, as we said. But he goes, it's still got to be mowed. (laughs) It's still got to be mowed. There will be people there. And I'm not saying he'll have the same. He may have a, a ten times better experience with them than he would with us. But he said, I'm, I'm hanging in there, and I've, I'm, I'm going to stick with it. And that man has become an elder. Now, he still thinks we made the wrong decision, but he's, uh, he's hung in there with us. So this is a hard one, and uh, I'm trying to be sensitive about it, but I just I encourage you to set your roots down, submit it to leadership, and submit it to one another. That lastly, to go forth as the people of God, set apart and called to declare his excellence, we need members, including leaders, submitted to one another. When I first became a Christian, uh, 
I would hear this a lot, that I now have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. As I mentioned, growing up, periodically going to this church, I never heard that, that I could have a personal relationship with God. But through the years, in my love for the church and my appreciation for the church as I've gone through this, the thing that I've come to believe more and more is to, ha- to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ means you also have a relationship with this church. It means you have a relationship with his people. It, it, it's a package deal. I, I was talking to a guy, and I said, uh, I said, do you go to church? And he said, uh, yeah. Every, every Sunday. I said, oh, where'd you go? He goes, uh, first hole, 9 o'clock, River Pines Golf Course. I have church. I said, okay. Exciting. Uh, but this Lone Ranger Christianity, sort of me and God, what I'm going to say to us is it's us and God. It's both, quite frankly. And yes, I do have a personal relationship with God. But we have a personal relationship with God, and we have a relationship with one another. And so that's why I love the church, because it just ain't about me. It's about us and our involvement in the kingdom of God in declaring the excellence of him. And so that's part of the challenge in our individualistic culture, because it's infiltrated the church. But I'll say this, we desperately need one another, not in a neurotic, codependent, uh, needy way, we need each other. Why? We're sinful, weak people. We need one another. Uh, I, can't, I can't emphasize this enough, that we have to have one another. People go, Christianity is a crutch. Yes, it is. It is a crutch. Not because, it's not, I don't need God to help me cope with life. I, I probably do. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about if I, I need God because I'm a weak, sinful person. And we all are. We need him. Uh, and we need, that means we need each other. And so one of the most powerful things I've witnessed through the years is the body of Christ come alongside one another to care for one another, love one another, pray for one another, bear one another's burdens. And this is one of the big struggles in church because what it means for us is I have a personal relationship with God and I struggle with sin, I can go to Jesus. Amen. The problem with that is that we, we miss a step a lot of times, and that is we, we don't go to people. We don't talk to people. And I understand why we don't. Maybe, maybe somebody's gossiped about you. Maybe somebody's going to shame you or whatever. But we need avenues. We need places where people can talk about that where people can talk about their struggle. There's nothing that you could share with me that you're struggling with that would surprise me. I'm serious. And so the thing is, is that within the body of Christ, we need places where people can deal with it. I believe, this is my personal opinion, that if you struggle with anger, you struggle with pornography, you struggle with uh, maybe even types of other addictions like maybe an alcoholism or whatever like this, uh, I, I, this is my personal opinion. If you don't involve other people in that, it's not going to change. It's not. In fact, it'll probably get worse. Now, are there examples where, yes, but as a rule, you've got to involve people in that. And so, um, 
I love the scripture which says this, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together is the habit of some, but all the more as you see the day drawing near, encouraging one another. That passage is often looked at as, well, we just need to go to church. No, we need to encourage one another. We need to support one another, and we do that through relationship. And so it happens through relationship. You know, we have a, if I were to ask you this, if I were to ask you and say, you, you struggle with alcoholism, or you, you drink too much, okay? And if I said, uh, if I said to somebody, what, what do you think they need to get help? Most, many of you would say, well, I think they need to go to AA, or I, they need to go to Celebrate Recovery. They need a support system. So the person who struggles with alcohol needs a support system. What about people who struggle with anger or lust or deceit or greed? Don't they need support systems? At the end of the day, don't we all need supports? You know, I'll just be frank. Do you know how stupid it sounds to say that there's certain people that need support? We all need support. Well, sometimes we'll go, we have Celebrate Recovery at our church. I laugh at this. That's for people who have hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Well, who doesn't? I mean, my word. We all need that, and we all have to have the support system. And so my encouragement to you all is the fact that you've got to have people in your life. And and they've got to be, I, I will say this, I think they've got to be safe people, you know, people that you're safe with. Who, who can, who can uh, pray for you, who can support you, at times confront you as, as, as one who love, uh, love you. I want you to look at this quote from Ed Welch, and it really is so true. In our battles with sin, we need a team of people. We need teachers to help us understand Scripture, prophets to help us apply it, interceders to pray for us, preachers to focus our eyes on Christ, encourage us to remind us of God's grace when we feel like failures, Wise men and women to discern when we are making foolish decisions. And people felt faith to tell us that everything God has said is true in Christ. In other words, God's gifts to us are people, not just one person, but the church. This is how Christ meets us. The reason we need so many people is that we need Christ himself. Since his glory and gifts are so immense, we need many people, not just an individual person. And so my call that we go forth as the people of God set apart and declared His excellencies, we need what? Submitted leadership, submitted members, and we all need to be submitted to one another. I can talk about what's wrong. I mean, <laughs> so uh, we have in our church uh, Laura's story. Laura's a recording artist, and uh, she, she leads uh, one of our worship teams. So on a given Sunday, uh, we have three worship services going on at the same time. So one Sunday, I'm standing there, and one of our members walks up to me before the service and says, where's Laura Storr playing this morning? And I'm just like, ugh. So I tried to be nice, but what was going through my head was to say to her, well, she's in theater six. Why don't don't you make sure and stop by our refreshment center and get you some nice cold drinks and popcorn and all this? There's this consumerism that was there, like, where's she playing? I'm going to go where she's at. Now, the reason I can talk about this is I'm a consumer. 
when I walk out of here, I may say, boy, I really enjoyed the service today. I enjoyed the music. And I don't like to use the word enjoy. By the way, you should enjoy it. You should say I enjoyed today because I'm preaching. But, uh, but, but I don't like to walk out of here and go, did I enjoy it? Because it hooks my consumerism. The point I'm making is that I'm critical of this person who comes into the church saying, where's Laura's story? But the reality is I'm a consumer too. I need Jesus. I need his help. Uh, we all do. God is building his church, and his call for us is submission. And the beauty of us is his grace that's demonstrated to us that, yes, we are the people of God, and, yes, we struggle, and, yes, we have imperfection. But he's at work. Christ is in us. I love what it says. Look at, listen to this from Philippians 2. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves. Look at, listen to this. Which is yours in Christ Jesus? Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptying himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in humble, human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus Christ submitted himself to his Father. And so he went before us in his submission. But the thing that I love about this passage, what does it say? I, I emphasize it. It is yours in Christ Jesus. Christ is in you. Christ is in you. You're, you're, you're weak. I'm weak. We're broken, but Christ is in us, and God is building His church. And I'm excited about that. I truly am excited about it when I see what God is doing amidst us. And so let us run with endurance, as the writer of Hebrews says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I love the church. And God is building his church. Amen. Let's pray. God in heaven, thank you so much. Thank you for your love for the church. Thank you that you're building it. Thank you that you're at work. Thank you that, God, that we can declare the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into this marvelous light. But, God, we do understand we struggle with sin. We struggle. But yet, God, you're at work. And so I pray that our leadership, Lord, that we would be submitted to you and to others, that, God, that we would be servants to the body of Christ, not lording it over. I pray for our membership, that, God, that we would be submitted to leaders and submitted to one another by putting our roots down somewhere. And even when it's hard and it's a struggle, that, God, that we would learn to walk through that and navigate that. And I pray that we would be submitted to one another by being honest about our lives and our struggles and our challenges, that we would help one another. And when our knees buckle, we would be there, that we would be there for one another to carry one another because one day our knees are going to buckle and we're going to need someone to carry us. So I pray that, God, through that, that the holiness of the church, that, God, that as you work in the church, that more and more glorifying you, that we would be able to declare your excellence. We'd be able to bless the nations. And it's because of your work. And so we thank you. We honor you. We praise you in Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen.